scary movie. Fear is defined as a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? For fun? science fiction horror triple feature of no-budget B-movie madness. In Dimension of Blood, Dr. Thomas Mobius is researching a strange life form that the government claims was found at the bottom of a deep mining shaft in South America. Suspecting there may be more to this than he's being told, he enlists the aid of lab assistant Rachel Roundtree. When a fellow scientist calls for a clandestine meeting, but then disappears, the plot thickens, and a mysterious man in black begins appearing and doing away with all who stand in his way. Can Dr. Mobius and Miss Roundtree unravel the mystery of who the man in black is and what the life forms really are before it's too late? In Monster in the Garage, we meet Steve. He's a slob and everyone gives him a hard time about it. He and his lovely wife Edie are planning a party at their house this evening. Little do they know that a flying saucer from another world has crash-landed in the field behind their house. Not only that, but the hungry creature from inside the ship has escaped and is hiding in their cluttered garage. As guests arrive for the party, some will make their way to the garage and may never be seen again. Crimson Heather concerns Heather Desire, Vampire. After a steamy shower and slipping into her vinyl corset, chains and thigh-high boots, she is met by a vengeful huntress who is determined to slay this bloodsucker. Just the first in a series of encounters where Heather must use her cunning and sex appeal to survive. Trolling nightclubs and bringing home strangers for her next meal is just another day in the life of this sexy vampire. A science fiction horror triple feature of no-budget B-movie madness. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> uh, hi. I'm Larry, this is my brother Daryl, 
That's my other brother, Daryl. Strange experiments, mysterious monsters, Lovecraftian horror, telekinetic bloodletting, ravenous insanity. These are merely a sampling of what lies beyond the wall of fear. Eight twisted tales envelope you in the dark evil that whispers just below the surface of reality. You've got Bigfoot. You've got all that 70s fantastic garbage. It's hotter than hell right now. Tell Cynthia I said she's a lying sack of shit. One. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Inside Movies Galore. I'm your host, David Stregge. And here in the room, I have a Mr. Joe Sherlock from a Skullface uh, Entertainment, correct? Skullface Astronaut. There we go. Skullface yeah. Astronaut. So, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? How you got in, involved in the independent film uh, industry, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll go from there. Okay. <clears throat> I have a story that's similar to a lot of indie filmmakers in that, <clears throat> even as a as a young kid, I got into horror movies. I I watched uh, Saturday Saturday afternoon double feature type of things with horror hosts. I was into comic books. Uh, I was into Greek mythology, which then got me into Ray Harryhausen stuff. So, you know, I was into horror and, and fantasy stuff. And then, of course, Star Wars came out and, you know, boom, that blew my mind. So uh, anyway, you know, so just from the beginning was into that and and started working with my dad's Super 8 uh, film camera and then later started doing stuff with the VHS, doing little skits, animation, music video, stuff like that. And, um, and then in the uh, sort of mid-90s, became aware of like Draculina magazine and some other 
you know, it got on the internet and became aware that there's other people around the country doing these sort of backyard videos, as they called them at the time. And in 1995, I, I made a short feature called Dimension of Blood, which was like, okay, I've done silly skits and goofy stuff with my friends. I'm going to do take something seriously. And so that was kind of an X-Files story. And yeah. made a bunch of stuff from there. I ended up selling that out of the uh, Draculina actually picked that up and distributed it when they were first starting out doing a distribution of stuff out of the back of their magazine. I got a website, you know, early days of AOL and everything. And uh, yeah, just started making stuff and um, just always made the best I could with what I had. I started on VH. I started on VHS editing like VCR to VCR, you know, that whole thing. And then, uh, you know, gradually just moved up to different formats, always feeling like I was sort of behind. But it was one of those things where like, well, if I wait for the, the perfect camera I'm supposed to have, I'll never make anything. So I just kept making stuff. My friends loved it. I got friends involved and then they told friends I had screenings. People came to screenings and, and afterwards would say, I want to be in your movies. And so my kind of circle of people grew from there yeah. and I just haven't stopped. So that's in a nutshell, I guess. Okay. Um, now, from what I understand, you started out working with uh, uh, Mr. John Bowker, correct? Correct. Yeah, I, I uh, grew up with John. I knew him since uh, middle school um, and high school. And, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, he actually got a video camera before I did, a big-ass VHS giant camera. And we were using his camera and then my dad's camera for um, some stuff, making making all these skits and everything. Uh, so, yeah. And then actually what happened was I made Dimension of Blood. John had actually moved to a different town by that point. Um, and he came back to town to see it. And we had a little screening party. And he was like, oh, my God, I got to do this. And so I went on and made Monster in the Garage with him and some other things. And, and he wrote this fantasy movie called Dreamwalkers. And uh, so we made that together. He was he wrote it and directed it. I shot it. I acted in it. And then we edited it together. So that was the first, first thing. And then after Dreamwalkers, um, ended up doing The Evil Maker and, and on from there. Okay. Um, so... Um Ultimately, um, you created um, your Skullface astronaut uh, um, com uh, company. When did that evolve into uh, that as, for your franchise? <clears throat> so for a long time, from like when I started from, from back in the day, like 95, all the way until about, I think, 2012, um, I was using F ampersand C production. So F Productions as my production name. And F and C stood for fast and cheap. <laughs> and really, most of the time, things were, were neither. They certainly weren't fast, and they weren't, you know, as I want them to be. But anyway, F and C Productions. And, it you know, not the most creative thing, but I started using it. I just kept using it, you know. And, but really, it wasn't very descriptive. I mean, you could apply that to many companies. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. Uh, so, so anyway, so what happened was I had been thinking about a different name. And here's the, I'll make this fairly short. The story behind that is years ago, like I don't even know how long ago now. I mean, maybe not 20 years, but a good 15 years. I wrote, I started writing a script and it was kind of a ripoff of the incredible melting man and so it was going to be about an astronaut that came back from space and he had a weird space disease that was like causing him to kind of melt and mess with his brain basically drove him insane and turned him into this killer and 
the idea was I had a Halloween mask collection. And so my plan was I would have that character have a Halloween mask collection. And at one point he, he pulled a skull mask off of the shelf and he puts that on to cover his mutating face and basically goes out on a rampage. And, uh, and so that was the idea. Right. And so I, I had it kind of outlined and I started writing it. I didn't really have a title for it. And so just so I could name the file that I had on my computer, I called it Skullface Astronaut. Just because that's what it was about, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I never did finish the script and obviously didn't make the movie. However, I always liked that phrase because it's a good combination of science fiction and horror just in one little phrase. And so... Um, Many years back, I don't know, 2009 or something, I was at Crypticon Seattle Horror Convention in Seattle, and there was a guy selling um, like custom action figures that he had made, and he made one called Space Madness that was basically this little astronaut figure with a skull inside the helmet. And I thought, oh, man, that is cool. And so I, I hemmed and hawed all weekend. It was like 30 bucks, which I mean, that's a lot of money for a little tiny I mean, it's It's only like that big. So, um. um God, I'm looking for it right now. Where is it? It's up here on the shelf. Hang on a second. Uh, uh, oh, okay, hang on a second. Not a problem. Because his, because his head just fell off. Let me put his head back on. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is terrible. All right. Well, this is like, all right. Here's his body. All right. Okay. So that, And here's his head. Okay. Anyway, okay, so I had bought that and and it was sitting on my shelf and it was just one of those things where I was starting a new movie, I was starting Drifter. Okay. Uh and um and it just got in my head like, yeah, you know, I need to like revamp everything. I need to freshen everything. I would need to redo my website. It was sort of old the the, the design was old fashioned. And mm -hmm. it struck me I should just call it Skullface Astronaut, right? That Phrase always stuck in my head, and it describes the science fiction and horror combo that most of my stuff is, and that's the story. Cool. Now, uh, what I figure I'll, I'll do, uh, do is I'll ask you about each project that I know of, and if there's anything else that, uh, that I have not mentioned, um, uh, uh, you can uh, you can ultimately come forward and uh, and tell me about them. Okay. Um, uh, so, uh, so you mentioned um, one uh, one of the first uh, uh, short films that you actually uh, got uh, got it uh, got into and directed. Uh, called Dimension of Blood. Now, where did you where did you happen to film uh, Dimension of Blood, and uh, uh, how did you come about uh, creating the project? Okay. Well, let's see. So I put I put the guy back together. There uh, okay. Um, yeah. So Dimension of Blood. Actually, my friend Tom Schaefer used to. I used to co-own a comic book and game store. And my friend Tom Schaefer used to come in, and and we would. Uh, who was also drew comics and made little videos and stuff. And we would talk about stuff. And basically, the X-Files were super hot back then, right? Okay. And I had decided, you know, I wanted to make something a little more serious. And um, so, it, it actually, the, the movie, until I finished the movie, it was actually called Man in Black. That was the, the working title of the movie. Because it was basically about my character, who's a man in black, who just keeps mysteriously showing up uh, as these scientists are dealing with strange phenomena and, and stuff. And... Um, so Tom plays the main character, this scientist who's all this weird stuff happens to, and he's mm -hmm. trying to figure out what's going on. Meanwhile, I keep showing up kind of after the fact and, and 
killing people or destroying evidence or just generally acting weird and mysterious. <laughs> and um, anyway, so X-Files was a big influence. B-movies in general were a big influence. What mm -hmm. I did was I wanted to, you know, kind of, I've heard many people th say this, Roger Corman, Fred Ellen Ray, Jim Wynorski, that are basically like, you know, every 10 minutes you got to have something, a kill scene or, a, or a, you know, a nude scene or, a, you know, some blood or something, right? To sort of keep it interesting that there's sort of a formula for that. So I was applying that a little bit, not in so much mathematical precision, but but I wanted to have, oh, okay, then this will have, oh, and then that'll be gross. Oh, then that'll have a super gross out thing, you know? Um, and so there's a bunch of, a girl yanks a guy's heart out and, and I eat this creature and we lop a guy's heads off and there's all, all kinds of stuff crammed in there, right? But that was the idea. I was like, okay, well, X-Files, but then every you know, a few minutes, there's going to be a shocker of some sort. And um, anyway, so that's how it came together. I shot it. Uh, I live in uh, Corvallis, Oregon, the home of Oregon State University. And um, so we shot it in some homes. We, we shot it um, at Oregon State University in some places. Okay. Uh, there's a whole sequence where I'm following this one character, and we shot that in their Memorial Union building. And, you know, the great thing was they had a um, – they had a fairly active TV station uh, at the time on campus, had their own channel and everything. And so, you know, I'd go around to all these different places with my camera and dressed in a weird outfit and, and we'd shoot all this stuff. And the students pretty much didn't think anything of it because they were used to different students around campus shooting things. So that was great. <laughs> it's just like, you know, here's this great uh, location and uh, you know, nobody really thought twice about it. So anyway, um yeah so that that's where i shot that and um that's sort of where that came from and um i'm pretty happy with that you know it's it's rough but it kicks along pretty quickly there's not much filler in it and uh it was great because i wrote it i shot it um you know, tom wrote some parts of it actually and then he and i both pulled in friends to, to put it together my friend rob did a lot of the special effects and i recorded music for it i had this crazy setup with like uh, a real drum set and then I had a couple keyboards and I would just, I had like a mixing board and I'd like you know, layer tracks on top of each other. And um, that was a lot of fun. Awesome. Uh, now, um, uh, what kinds of, uh, uh, did you want to mention any actors or actresses that you worked in that you uh, continuously uh, would work with or ar around that you might've used in like maybe your following uh, film or, Gosh, it's it's interesting. There's sort of been a, um, uh, a an evolving, you know, group um, because I've been I've been I don't even know how many years it's been. I mean, I'm in my third decade. That's the way I describe it now. So, decade <laughs> of making these things. So over twenty years, um, and so there's friends that I first started with who have since moved away. There's a few that have actually passed away, um, and then as I said earlier, I would have um, screenings. And people would come up to me after screening. So they wouldn't be, you know, friends. It would just be people I'd meet there who would later then become friends because we'd start, you know, they'd say, oh, I'd love to be in something. And they'd either help out on crew or be in the movie. And then so then I have kind of a, a new circle or expanded circle. Um, so it's hard to say. I mean, uh, John Bowker, you mentioned earlier. I mean, he's in almost all of my stuff. Um, okay. My friend Rob. A lot of I'll, I'll rephrase the question. Okay. Um, more or less, are there any actors or actresses that uh, that uh, that you would say uh, say would stand out in this uh, in this particular feature, or in, in this particular short film? Oh, Dimension of Blood. 
Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I mean, Tom, here's the thing. Tom Schaefer, um, he pretty much was Dr. Mobius. I, I, I wrote that part to sort of be an extension of him. He has a bit of a stutter. He has a bit of a nervousness to him. Um, and uh, so he, uh, you know, that was part of the character. And <laughs> he also often pines away. He often would pine away for women, so that's a bit of the character too. I mean, he did he did write some of the stuff, so um, that became a part as well. So, I mean, the reason you know I think he's great in it is because it was pretty much written to be him. I did the same thing years later. I did a movie called Underbelly, and he plays a lead character who is kind of this nerdy guy who um, stumbles his way into this underbelly of of crime in this small town, and then reacts and sort of just. Strange ways people have compared it to after hours just in tone because it's like here's sort of a hapless guy in this criminal situation and he reacts in a funny way. And that's that you know, that's what I looked at for that. But I yeah, I wrote it pretty much to just be him. So he wasn't acting too far out of who he was. So uh, moving on to the uh, um, monster in the garage. Uh, yeah. How did you come up with uh, that concept for that short uh, uh, short uh, short film? And where did you happen to film that one? Um, so that was at my house. <laughs> um, I don't know exactly how I came up with the idea. I mean, I we at that point in my life, uh, I think I had just had a kid. I may have actually started writing it before I had a kid. Um, okay. I guess I did actually. I I I actually started. I started before I had a kid. I actually finished it after I had a kid. But um, but you know, at that point in my life, I had I'd gone to college, and then you know, I had a job. I also had the comic book store. We had we sold role playing games, and we also put on live action role playing game events. So there was definitely like a circle of people who were involved in that. They were store customers and played in the games and some of them, you know, became friends and would hang out. And so that extended into this movie. And so I think a lot of it was maybe based on just some of the house parties we used to have and, and just the idea of let's ramp it up and make it a, you know, a horror sci-fi thing with this monster, this UFO crashes behind my house. And then this monster comes out and hides in my garage. And then there's a party going on. And the people that go out to the garage to either get a beer or make out or whatever, you know, don't come back in. <laughs> um, anyways, that was the idea. And I made a paper mache monster that was kind of a, um, kind of like an alligator head, just basically like an alligator head type of puppet thing. Okay. Um, you know, so it's pretty goofy. Um, but, it, you know, and it was meant to be a comedy. And, uh, yeah, so that one, John plays sort of the lead character he's the guy that owns the house and uh, shannon plays his wife and shannon was in a bunch of my movies after that she was in she was in john's Dreamwalkers, and she was in uh crimson heather lust of the vampire hookers a bunch of stuff after that um okay. really fun to work with and enjoyed it you know a lot so yeah so that was monster in the garage so what happened was just jumping back draculina uh magazine they they sold that as like a double feature for a while um Hugh Gallagher, the publisher, had uh, started doing uh, distribution on VHS of stuff. He had a lot of companies that would buy ads in the back of his magazine, but then he started making his own and taking on other people's. And so I was lucky enough that he had that as a double feature. And then also Crimson Heather, which was a vampire short I made, he also was selling that. So that was that was cool. Which I believe that uh, you you uh, stuck uh, Dimension in Blood, um, Monster in the Garage, and Crimson Heather 
uh, all on uh, a single disc, uh, which is yeah. DVD. Joe's Garage. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is kind of neat. Um, uh, now, you also did something or with something called We Need Earth Women? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why don't you tell me about that? So that was that was an odd thing. I think in between there, I did one called Vampirisa's Velvet Vault of Horror, and that was a an anthology. Um, and We Need Earth Women started. I had I was also publishing a zine at the time called Doctor Squid, and I would, I would review movies. But then I when I started making movies, I ended up doing sort of. I mean, the zine started off with um, movie reviews and just sort of weird pop culture stories. Um, and uh, and I ended up interviewing uh, Fred Olin Ray for the zine. And and then I also did another story. What was it called? I can't remember what it was called. But, the, but it was inspired by Fred Olin Ray because Fred had a few instances where he had footage left over from another movie or he started a movie. Mm-hmm. But didn't finish it, and later used that footage, built some, built something new around that footage. Okay. And so the idea was uh, kind of like recycling in films, like people that either reused parts of movies or reused props, things like that. I, I had um, Planet of the Planet of the Dinosaurs. Okay. Honestly, the dinosaur footage from that has been used in a lot of other movies, <laughs> and. Um, and so it started, you know, that, that was one of the things I covered in the article. And also the deadly spawn monster, Fred had that shipped out to California to be in his star slammer movie. And I just think that's cool stuff. It's like, Oh my gosh, that's that thing from that other thing. Right. I, I, I get into all the details on that. So kind of inspired by that, I looked at what I had laying around. Like, do I have any extra stuff? Mm-hmm. And I did. And here's the thing. So I actually, when I shot monster in the garage, okay. I shot it with a different actress playing John's wife. Okay. And then she kind of, she kind of went nuts. She kind of went nuts and she ended up going to jail and it's a long story, but uh, the short story is she kind of went off the deep end and I was like, Oh boy, I don't know that I want her associated with my movie anymore. <laughs> and so like six months later, I reshot all those scenes with John and Shannon and, and amazingly, cut it into the movie and it seemed to work. Most people don't realize that that stuff was shot so much later because I just, you know, I sort of planned out how to, how to cut things together. So I ended up being having the extra footage with the original actress. And I also had a few other extra pieces and my friend Tom Schaefer that I mentioned earlier, he had some things that he had shot for a project that didn't get off the ground. And so we Dean earth woman was a way to cobble all this, extra footage together and i came up with this idea of these aliens coming to earth and 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 abducting women um and they drive around in a in a takeout container flying saucer that sounds like a car with no muffler and it's very goofy and and uh slapstick and you know maybe not the the most uh it's a little complicated because it's it's like actually when you find out like oh he like jigsawed that together from existing <laughs> stuff that was around you're like oh okay now that makes more sense anyways that's what we need earth women was okay um now uh also for, uh, around that time you did something called monster in my car 
Yeah, Monster in My Car was um, so when we shot Evil Maker. So John Bowker wrote and directed the Evil Maker, and I was the director of photography photography for that. And actually, we edited it together. So um, while we were shooting that in the parking lot of a city park that we were shooting in, we just uh, ad libbed this funny skit where the four characters from the four girls from the evil maker movie um they're just walking back to the walking across the parking lot to their car and i had john in some paper mache monster mask i had made for something else he pops out and and they attack him and uh and that's about it i mean it's it, monster in my car is like two minutes long maybe three probably not even three it's probably like a minute two minutes long and it was just a goof thing we did ad-libbed while we we're shooting the evil maker and then uh so once we were done with everything i i cut that together and put some music on it and it made it and i don't even remember where it is it's a it's like an extra on one of the tapes i put out way back when hmm. that's all it is okay so um uh, going on to odd noggins yeah now that was originally a short film correct it was not actually it was not no it was a feature um, okay it was, it was an experiment, really. Ultimately, is what it was. So, okay. and as with a lot of my movies, there's always two or more sort of things threading into doing it. In I'm never exactly sure whether you have your finished product, a uh, uh, project, until you're satisfied with it. Uh, anyways, well, true, true. But I'm just saying, like, even the inspiration usually it's usually it's not just one thing; it's a couple things that 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 hit and make that spark like, Oh, that's what I'm going to do. The two things with this one was I had this idea to follow. I had this idea where, um, the camera would follow characters. So two characters would meet and the camera would continue to follow one who would then talk to somebody else. And then the camera would follow that person they talked to. In other words, it's almost like a handoff. Okay. And, um, so in a sort of experimental idea, like, oh, well, that would be interesting. It's like, because as the camera sort of continues on through the story, you're like, well, what happened to those original people? Um, and I, when I first had the concept, I was like, well, I don't really know the answer to that, you know, but I just had that idea of like, meet someone, follow the other person and, uh, and be sort of surreal about it. So then I got the idea of, well, how could I make it more surreal? I got the idea of like having situations and lines in particular repeat so that, you would hear someone say a line and then the camera would follow the person they talked to. But then later another person they talked to would say that same line. So it'd be this weird deja vu type of thing. And um, so there was that sort of experimental idea, like making a movie like that. Um, and the other experimental part of it was um, at this point, this was like 1998, 99. Yeah. And I had met, you know, a lot of people online through AOL and MySpace, I mean, that was what was there at the time, um, who were either making films or were interested in making films, things like that. And so the idea was, well, how can I get these people involved? They, you know, of course they'd be like, oh gosh, I wish I lived closer to you so I could be in your movies. And, and, and again, this is back in like the late nineties. So it's, you, you couldn't just, you couldn't shoot something and send it over the internet like you can these days. Right. <laughs> right. But I was like, how could I do this? Well, the way I did it was I ended up um, writing this story in pieces 
um, and and having everybody talk to each other on the phone. And the gimmick for it was there was an impending Halloween party by this unseen character named Bob. So you've got all these different characters who are calling each other, talking about, oh, yeah, you're going to Bob's Halloween party tonight. What are you going to wear? Blah, 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 blah. And by writing these sort of self-contained bits, I was able to get people around the country to shoot their own scenes. And um, in some cases, I would send them props like uh, magazine covers. So there's a few different scenes in the original Odd Noggins where people were reading a magazine. And it's like the same magazine that someone else was reading. Again, that sort of yeah. repetition and deja vu. So anyway, um, yeah, so I had these people around the country shoot their scenes. And, I mean, one person shot it on VHS. A couple shot it on VHS-C, which is just VHS but on a smaller cassette. And I can't – somebody else shot it on some other format. But, I mean, this was very primitive stuff. And, and some of it looked good and some of it was horrible. And I was very limited on what I could do. I mean, I was editing on a – I mean, it was a deck-to-deck -deck system. It wasn't VCRs. It was like a, a system that a TV station would use. But still, mm -hmm. it, at that point, it was ancient technology, like from the 70s. So I, I really didn't have much ability to manipulate the footage to make it much better. Um, so it was a weird – and and then the storyline was just weird, right? I made it intentionally strange and odd, right? So yeah. that's kind of what all led into that. So it's – a weird surreal storyline and it's sort of these isolated people but they call each other on the phone so at least there's a connection story-wise with that mm -hmm. uh, and the quality varies because you'll be watching some stuff and then suddenly the picture is very dark and grainy or it's kind of purpley or whatever that's just that was the nature of people shooting their own things and um so it was just sort of a weird grand experiment okay um and uh ultimately what was the um reaction to the community on uh, your your films so far uh up to this point at that point well i tell you there was a website called beindependent.com that had a great bulletin board um and and they also did movie reviews and i was lucky enough to to get some good reviews there but also network on these bulletin boards with all kinds of people uh which was neat and uh i don't know i mean at that point again i was i was at that point, I don't think Draculina was doing the sales anymore, but because um, I only had those few things with them. But I was basically just getting my own VHS copies made. I would I would get the copies made. I would buy cases wholesale. I would make my own sleeves and get them color photocopied. And I was selling stuff at comic book conventions and on my website through mail order. And you know that was uh, what I was doing. I, I you know it, it's not like I got tons of reviews all over the place. I yeah. Mean, but, um, I, you know, I was making stuff and, and making connections. And there were enough people that picked them up. That was really cool. Okay. Um, I see here that you did uh, a short segment thing in something called Gauntlet 216. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. I mentioned uh, shooting at OSU earlier and how they had a, an active TV station uh, program. And okay. um, so around the same time, I... Um, I connected with a guy named Alan who had a TV show on the college station and, and he had his own kind of circle of friends and they had a show that they would do where they would do, they would do original stories, but also like movie parodies and, and, and big commercials and just, just all kinds of stuff. Right. And it was just kind of fun. I, I caught it one night and I was like, Oh, this is kind of cool and reached out to them and ended up getting involved in a few projects they did. And the gauntlets started as a, 
kind of a friendly contest, not really even a contest, uh, just an activity where this one guy, Warren, would um, – it was a challenge. That's the word I was looking for, a challenge. So he'd basically say, look, guys, the challenge this month is uh, 60 seconds of summer. So put together a video that's 60 seconds long that shows what you did this summer. Okay. And then, you know, whoever wanted to do it would do it, and we'd – basically send it into the show and then he would like show it on a future episode. Okay. So there were a few of these gauntlets that went on. I think I did four of them. And then he decided to do one that was more elaborate, which was, um, which he turned into a feature and that's what gauntlet Two Sixteen was. Okay. So he basically had some parameters and I think there were seven, eight or so people he basically said, you know, write write a segment with these sort of parameters in it. And and he actually put together this gar- – took all this stuff, put this gargantuan project together. That is, It's interesting we just talked about Odd Noggins because Gauntlet 216 is weird and surreal and may not make a lot of sense. But that's because all these different people made their parts, even though they had continuing threads through them. Um, yeah, it's pretty bizarre. So that's what that was. It was – and it was – Sounds it was like something like – uh, it sounds like something like Tony Newton is doing for uh, uh, for um, uh, Troma these days. Yeah, a lot of compilations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, moving on to, uh, I'm going to just mention a, a couple of titles. Underbelly, which you've met, uh, aforementioned, uh, Werewolf Tales and Bloodsucking Redneck Vampires. Yeah. So Underbelly was, at that point, I had made, um, you know, sci-fi and horror stuff, but pretty comedic i mean most everything had it was either very blatantly comedic or was you know halfway comedic and 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 with genre you know people in halloween masks and blood and guts and makeup and stuff underbelly was my attempt to do something different it's it's a thriller i mean i i the plan was an erotic thriller and there's there's parts to it but 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 really it's just a thriller but you know, I was looking at things like, you know, the Fred Ellen Ray, Jim Wynorski, sort of the thriller action, you know, type of things. And so that was the one where, I mean, basically Tom plays this uh, older than average college student who gets hired by a professor to drive his car down to a different city to deliver to his, uh, his niece. And, uh, and, and then he ends up she, he gets to town and he can't find her. And he tries to talk to all these people and turns out she was, wrapped up in the criminal underbelly of the town and things go, go bad from there. But it was, you know, it was all straight. It was just people, no, no monsters, no vampires, no aliens. Um, and, you know, I, I think what I've learned over the years is that most everything I make is going to have my stamp on it. It's going to have a, a quirkiness that is just inherent in when I put things together. And so this is no different. It's somebody uh, reviewed it and called it nerd noir. Which it kind of is. I mean, it's a nerdy guy, and again, but it's a you know, it could be a, a noir sort of thriller concept. But then you throw this sort of goofball in it, who is a bit you know doesn't get it half the time, um, and uh, and it, you know, so there's some comedy that comes out of that, but not you know blatant comedy. Anyways, that's what Underbelly was. Okay. The, the Werewolf Tales was a project that um, Kevin Lindenmuth at uh, Brimstone Productions was putting together. He he was the guy that actually um, he picked up the Evil Maker, the first Evil Maker movie, and okay. got distributed. And um, and at the time, he was making a bunch of these anthologies. There were alien ones and some werewolf ones, and I think some vampire ones. 
so John Bowker and I both, um, or each, we each made a, a segment that went into the vamp or the werewolf tales one. And actually, uh, John directed and I shot a segment that went into one of his alien anthologies. And I actually edited one of the uh, stories in a different alien anthology. So this was all in a period where John and I were just cranking stuff out. We were we were doing segments for those anthologies. We were doing stuff for Tim Ritter's The Twisted Illusions 2 anthology. Okay. And both John and I were making features and, and doing shorts just in a frenzy over a few years there. Alrighty. Um and uh blood sucking redneck vampires. Yeah so that was um that was interesting. So uh Sub Rosa had been putting out um a bunch of things and um, they had they had picked up a couple of movies that John Bowker had done, Seekers, The Seekers, and Housebound. And so there was sort of a model where they were they were having filmmakers around the country make movies for them to distribute. And so that was the situation here. So um, we basically, so my my partner Mike and I, uh, we decided we wanted to do one of these. It was, I mean. People were doing these things. We were like, hey, we should get in on that. That sounds cool. And so basically, what we got was um, the title, Bloodsucking Redneck Vampires. And and the log line was basically like, uh, rednecks are, are uh, rednecks get turned into vampires, and they're so stupid that they keep killing themselves in dumb ways like walking out in the sun and stuff. I mean, that was like, that's what we got. Go make the movie. So... It was interesting because it was the first time I had worked in collaboration with someone to to the extent that I did. I mean, we really we really worked on this together. So we wrote the script together, and um, it was massive, and we put way too many characters in it. Um, but it was uh, just turned out to be this monster. So, and the great thing was, Mike at the time was working at a place where he had a coworker who had this uh, property, this farm up in Washington State. And um, not only a farm, I guess, but had had property with like a barn and a bunch of outbuildings and a bunch of horses and things like that. And um, in this kind of little town called Winlock. And so basically we wrote this story and wrote them all into it. And and Lisa, who, who, who was the coworker, basically got her family and the whole town involved. And so we would, and it's like three and a half hours from my house, but, but it was great because we could take over the whole town. So we went up there, shot at their property all over the place, shot at her mom's house. And we shot at the uh, beauty salon that her sister worked at. We shot at a local bar, um, a few other, another gas station, a few other locations. So, and, and she got, ex, you know, got all a bunch of her friends and count town folk to be extras. So it was really a neat, but grueling experience. Um, but yes, yeah, so, and, and and I you know it was it's it's about ninety three percent comedy and seven percent vampire stuff, um, but it was it was fun because it's you know there's like bean eating and farting contests and lots of beer drinking and and slapstick stuff and, and physical comedy and and uh, yeah so it was it was it was grueling to make just because it was hot we had some casting issues where we had to reshoot stuff. Um, we had written it again. I said like way too many characters, you know, so it uh, required a lot of coordination and things like that. And, and just because I was working with what Mike for the first time, it was, we were learning as we went along, what's the push and pull, how do we work together? Let's make, how to, you know, making decisions, you know, mm -hmm. 
we didn't have that second language that sometimes people do when they work together for a while. Um, so not that it was bad, but it just was, you know, uh, new sort of navigating that stuff. And, and like he, when we were editing, I mean, he would edit stuff together and then I'd have lots of notes for him. You know, it wasn't just like, Oh yeah. Good. It was like, no, let's do this and fine tune this. And, da, da, da. and then sometimes we would have long debates on, should this stay in here? I don't think so, but see, it's good. We should put it in there and a lot of that stuff. But, but in the end of the day, I mean, I think it's got a lot of funny stuff in it. Uh, a lot, you know, and, they, and again, these were all like friends of mine for the most part that just did these hilarious performances. And you know, it's a fun movie to watch if you you know have have some beer. Definitely. <laughs> um, so um, I'm going to mention three other titles. Um, uh, first project: Bloody Red Lips of Blood. Uh, beneath. Uh, Blood, uh, blood, or uh, red uh, moon, uh, beneath a moon, beneath a dead moon, beneath a dead moon, yeah. and truth, truly dreadful tales. Yeah. Um, Bloody Red Lips of Blood was made initially for Chris Seaver. He had this uh, Warlock Home Video label that he was doing stuff for. And at the time, the, the gimmick was he was. He was making movies, but pretending they were made in the 80s, right? Okay. They were new movies that he was shooting, but he'd shoot them on VHS. And the whole shtick was that the video label was releasing these long lost shot on VHS movies from the 80s. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, he asked if I wanted to get involved. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. And so I put this thing together, you know, this sort of. Because when the video days first started, there were movies like Red Lips and a bunch of others that were just like lesbian vampires, just like girls in the shower and, and vampire stuff. Because you could, if you got a couple of girls that would get naked and you could buy some cheap plastic vampire teeth, you could make a movie and sell it out of Draculina and, and you know, other magazines and stuff. And so that, that was what my inspiration was. And um, so, but... Uh, one of these, like by the time I got it put together, it took way longer than I thought. And by the time I got it all put together, uh, Chris was like going to a show that ended up being my deadline. Cause I, it kept taking longer and longer. And he's finally like, I'm going to this Cincinnati or Chicago show. You know, I want to have copies. So I had to wrap it up and get the thing made. And so, you know, he had copies of that show, but then shortly thereafter, he closed up the whole label. He uh, just decided, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And he, he quit doing, I think everything for a little while. And then he just came back and did low budget pictures, which was his original label. And um, so the war, the whole warlock thing went away. Now he did say from the very beginning, he said, yeah, you know, make it for me, but you know, you can sell it too. That was the deal from the beginning. And so, um, so I have, so I've, you know, I have it up on my, my Vimeo channel for video on demand, but, but that was just a, I mean, I, I shot most of that on VHS and, um, and it's very goofy and stupid on purpose, and the effects are intentionally kind of lame. <laughs> so you know, it's it's like that was the whole point was it was it was supposed to be bad. <laughs> the bloody red lips of blood is um, beneath the dead moon was a situation where I had um, some segments of things that were never used, and also some shorts that I hadn't done a whole lot with, and so. Um, Interestingly, it was it was werewolf tales that I mentioned earlier that Kevin Lindemuth was putting together. He never actually put that out in a big way. Uh -huh. I mean, he made some copies for a review, but it never 
he had some sort of a distribution deal that I think fell apart before he put that out. And okay. so like it didn't come out on DVD or anything like that. So what ended up happening was I bought the rights back to my short and John's short from the werewolf tale. So I had these two werewolf shorts that now I had you know, that I owned and I was never thrilled. Kevin had put them together and put music on it. And I was, I never really liked the music. It was sort of this metal rap stuff that just, I just didn't think it fit. Uh-huh. And so I kind of wanted to re-edit them anyway. I had it, like I said, there was a few other P, uh, shorts and things that I had either done nothing with or, uh, you know, hadn't done much with. So it just sort of organically came together. Like, well, I'll, I'll just lump all these together. Initially, I thought, initially I thought of shooting more werewolf stories and making my own werewolf anthology. But then, but then this idea came. I was like, oh, well, I have these other things around. I could put all this together. So, so that's what that is. So Beneath the Dead Moon is a pretty good anthology. There's, there's werewolves in it, vampires. Crazy people, mutants, um, Sasquatch, uh, it's something for everybody. Awesome. And what's the uh, other thing with the other? Oh, Truly Dreadful. Yep. Truly Dreadful Tales, real short, was my uh, attempt to um, farm everything out. It was like I wrote the stories and I had other filmmakers make them. And, okay. and the, the idea was in most cases they would send me footage and I would edit it together. Um, there was one case. Uh, Isabel Stefan and Luke Bernier from uh, Canada did a short and she actually cut it all together and, and was like, well, if you like this, then here it is edited. And I was like, Oh, well, actually it's really, really good. So, <laughs> so anyway, it's truly dreadful tales. The idea was that was going to be an umbrella title and I would have other people make shorts that I would write. And um, so that's what, so there's like four stories on there. That's what that was. Okay, cool. Um, going back to, uh, um, deadly premonitions, and that was um, that was another thriller that I did. So there's no, um, you know, aliens or monsters in it. Um, and that one was again. There's always a few things feeding into it. Right? One was I was organizing my high school reunion around that time. Okay, and, um, and that was an interesting thing in and of itself, right? Um, but the other thing was there was an actor from Alabama, Tom Stedham, who was in some footage in the original Odd Noggins, that, uh, a sequence that was shot down in Alabama. And so he had, um, you know, he had said, hey, Joe, I'd love to be in more movies. But, of course, I'm at a no-budget level, so I'm not, I'm not in a position to say, yeah, I'll fly out. <laughs> but Tom reached out to me and he said, hey, man, you know, if you've got a project going in, I'll, I'll fly myself out there to be in it. And it was like, wow, well, that's really cool. Um, and so it just happened. I was like, well, I don't really have anything to put him in. I had this, you know, this idea, um, for this mystery thing. And so it all just sort of gelled. And so the, the concept, <laughs> interestingly, we just talked about truly dreadful tales, be, dreadful tales, because my original concept for deadly premonitions was I was going to shoot the main storyline with the main characters. And what happens is the main character, Carrie calls, classmates from high school to tell them about the high school reunion. And when she does that, those student, those, those uh, classmates end up getting murdered by this killer with a mask on. Okay. And so that happens a few times and then she starts to hear about it. And then some detectives get involved. But my original thought was I, I actually went out and I bought four of the same, I ordered four of the same cheap mask online and I went out and bought four sets of gloves and four pairs, uh, four of the same shirt from like a uh, discount store. And so my plan was 
I would be able to send, kind of like odd noggins, send the props out, send the mask and the shirt and the gloves out to people, and they would shoot like the filler killers is what I called them. So the characters would be on the phone with my character back here, not my character, but the one I was shooting here. And, um, and then they could have someone dress up in the mask and the gloves and the shirt and do the kill scene. And I would have, like I said, I'd have other people shoot these kill scenes and then I'd cut it all together. I had one person do that and it was such a nightmare because she insisted on editing it herself because <laughs> I said, send me the raw footage because I need to cut it together with my stuff. And she, she was like, oh, well, I don't want to send you the raw footage. And uh, was like all weird about it. And then cut it together with all these dissolves, which wouldn't match anything I did. And all this like gothic opera music. I wouldn't be able to remove, right? And so it was just like, what? No, this is not how it works. I can't use this. And she was just really weird. So I was like, okay, well, I can't use that. <laughs> and so I, I, I made a deal with Tom. You know, he, he flew himself out here. I put him up in a hotel, and and uh, and we shot for like four days on the main storyline with him playing the main character's boyfriend. And um, what ended up happening is I ended up shooting all the rest of it myself. So that whole plan of having other people shoot the kills, it mm -hmm. was like, well, I'm not going to bother. It's too much trouble. And so I'll just shoot it myself. So over the next year or so, I shot all the rest of the movie with all the different classmates getting killed. And so that's what that meant. So Deadly Premonitions, that's how that came together. So it's a, a kind of a thriller mystery of like, this character Carrie is calling her friends for their high school reunion and they keep turning up dead. And what's the real story behind it all? That's the mystery. Okay. Are there any actors or actresses uh, in the films that we have talked about that you would like to uh, uh, mention now that we've talked about them? Gosh. Uh, I've done a lot of stuff, man. <laughs> I know. I, I, I just get that because uh, oh, no, a good question. Sometimes giving a good shout out to them. Well, uh, well, you know, Tom Adam was was good, and he ended up coming back. I'm, I'll jump ahead a little bit. He came back for Blood Creek Woodsman. He came back out to Oregon, and we shot that a few years. Oh. But um, but the thing about um, Deadly Premonitions, there's an actress, um, Amira, who Gary, and she wasn't really in anything else. Um, but she was great, and she's she's a, a friend of mine. And, you know, I think had a good time and did really well and just, you know, had other things going on in her life. She was busy, had a busy job, uh, but she was really good. Really good. I thought um, I worked with an actress, um, Gwen Lurie in uh, Deadly Premonitions. She plays one of the high school classmates and she was great. I did a, a vampire short with her and Bob Olin. Uh, and that's on Beneath the Dead Moon, and and um, and Bob Olin is really good. He plays a detective in Deadly Premonitions, and he he's in uh, Blood Sucking Redneck Vampires. Um, he's in Werewolf Short that I did uh, with John Pauker. So uh, he uh, Bob's really great, and he's been in most of my most of my projects. Okay, uh, moving on to uh, <sighs> Dead Ink. Dead Ink was uh, a project that Steve Sessions put together, okay. uh, and it was an anthology of horror shorts that all revolved around tattoos in some way. And so he asked me to, to do a segment, uh, and it ended up going on as an extra on the Dead Ink DVD. Uh, it's called Superstar, but I actually uh, I put it 
and part of uh, Beneath the Dead Moon too. He was, you know, he was like, you should do so. You put this on your thing too. Um, so yeah, that was a fun, a fun, twisty little horror short that Steve wrote, and then I kind of did a real rewrite so it would fit with the people that I had available here. And um, uh, yeah, so that's what that's what my involvement with Dead Ink was. Alrighty, cool. Um, going on to Twisted Fates and Blood Creek Woodsman. Yeah, so Twisted Fates was an or is an anthology, a horror anthology, and um, it's one where I worked with a couple guys. There was so I wrote I wrote the wraparound and I wrote all three stories. And um, Ron Ford, who uh, at the time was living in California, now he lives in Washington State. He he was a guy, a filmmaker that I'd met over the internet who was making a lot of low budget, no budget video stuff down there in California. And um, so I wrote a segment for him. And, uh, and so he shot that in 2003. And then I had another segment about uh, the sorority sisters and kind of a twist on a twist on a twist of sorority initiation that um, that actually Bob Olin directed. I shot it. Uh, he, he, there was myself and another cameraman shot it. Uh, Bob directed that one. So that was shot here in Oregon. And then the third story I wrote and shot um, called It Haunts about a woman who goes to house at a house that uh, may or may not be haunted. And then the wraparound was a, a, a thing where uh, a couple of missionaries come to that door and uh, end up uh, end up encountering a housewife who's not all they who's who's more than a housewife. <laughs> and then there's the three stories that she tells. So. Um, anyways, yeah, Twisted Fates was, I really like Twisted Fates. There's a lot of fun stuff in there. A lot of times I really like writing stories that have twists in them. And and if I can do a twist and then a twist on that, you know, that's even better. Um, and so, yeah, Twisted Fates is named because there's a, a bunch of sort of twist reveal type of things in each story. All righty. Cool. And, oh, Blood Creek Woodsman's the other one? Correct. So Blood Creek Woodsman, uh, John Bowker wrote that. And he, um, so he, what happened, he actually, um, I'm going to get the years wrong on this, but the early 2000s, I mentioned earlier where there was like a frenzy. We were doing stuff for Tim Ritter. We we're doing stuff for Ron Bonk. We we're doing stuff for Kevin. Yeah. We we're doing our own things. And, um, and then he moved down to California for several years. And uh, I continued making stuff, Deadly Premonitions and other things like that. And he um, just was, was gone. Uh, and then he moved back and he was like, I want to make some movies again. And so he wrote this body count script. Uh, he said, I've always wanted to do a body count movie. And so he wrote this thing called Blood Creek Woodsman about this hooded killer with an ax. And he asked me if I would direct it. So I said, sure. So, um, and he, he brought uh, Tom Stedham out from Alabama to play the sheriff. And, um, and we cast it with, you know, our friends and a bunch of uh, people we knew. And, and uh, yeah, shot that out in rural Oregon on uh, Markham and Silverton, Oregon, Salem, Oregon. Um, and that was, that was quite a project. We started that um, in the summer. We did a, like a, like a 10 day shoot or something like that. Okay. And, uh, and then later did some more, you know, a day here and a day there in the fall. Uh, it was very ambitious. We had um, lots of effects and, and, you know, being a body count movie, there's a lot of kills. So uh, a lot of different blood effects and different things we had, uh, Rob, who did special effects, he had a uh, a super soaker rigged up. So there were several scenes where either someone's getting hit with a chainsaw or there's some other thing going on, and Rob's just using a super soaker to just get everything bloody. 
And um, we had a lot of locations. Um, we, we got access to great stuff. There was a cabin by a lake we used. Um, there, my friend at the time owned a restaurant, so we got to shoot in the restaurant and the bar and also the house next door that he lived in. And um, we even went up to Mount Angel, Oregon and shot some uh, exteriors up there. And um, yeah, lot, like I said, lots of, lots of effects, lots of people. And, um, but I'm thrilled with how it turned out. And then Steve Sessions, who I mentioned earlier, uh, filmmaker from uh, Mississippi, uh, he, he's made tons of stuff. He made like Cremains and Dead Clowns and um, Pelican Bay and I don't even know what else. Just a bunch of stuff. Uh, Shriek of the Sasquatch. He always liked his stuff and he, um, and he does really cool music. And so he offered to score uh, Blood Creek Woodsman. And so that was great. So not only are there tons of, I mean, the other thing we had in Blood Creek Woodsman was the guy that owned the restaurant and the bar, one of his regulars was a guy who would buy um, uh, police cars and, and like, you know, take all the police stuff off of them and fix them up and resell them. So he had like a storage unit full of like police light bars and everything. So through this guy, we were able to get a police car with lights on it and we made some decals on the side. So we had like a police car in the movie and then we actually used it to decorate another an, an SUV as the sheriff's vehicle. Um, it was great. I mean, the production value on that <coughs> just like jumped way up because of uh, uh, several people saying, hey, well, I have this. How about this? Um, so I'm really, I'm really uh, thrilled with how that turned out. Nice. So um, ultimately, after uh, Blood Creek Woodsman, you went on to uh, a direct film called uh, Drifter. Um, uh, why don't you tell me about that project? So here's how that came about. The same guy that owned the restaurant and the bar and had the house that we shot in, which incidentally, Underbelly, going all the way back to Underbelly, that's the first time I shot at that guy's house. And then across the parking lot was the restaurant and bar that he owned. We shot uh, in all those places for Underbelly. So then Blood Creek Woodsman also shot all that stuff. Then he sold the restaurant and he was in the process of uh, selling the house. And so the house was vacant. And he had, he had already bought a new house and moved into it. So the house was vacant. And he, he sent me a message and he said, hey, man, I just want to let you know, like, the house is empty. We sold it, but they're not, nobody's going to move into it for like six months. So if you want to go shoot some, you know, bloody murder scene in there, you've got to clean it up, but you know, you'd have free run of the house if you want to go shoot something. And what he meant was just like an isolated kill scene that maybe I'd use later. I mean, that was his thought process. But what happened was he told me that. And I just came up with this whole story in my head about, well, the house is empty. Like I could shoot a whole movie there, you know? So um, that's how that happened. And so, I ended up writing this whole story about this drifter that comes and kind of hides out in the house. And then, you know, people come to the house. There's a handyman, there's a plumber, there's a girl that comes to paint. Uh, there's uh, some people that come to look at the house that actually come back later and, and try to look at it without the realtor. It was a perfect situation. Like, well, here's all your kills, right? Here's the situation where people will come by themselves to this location and you can have your kill scenes for this horror movie. And, um, and again, I kind of, I wanted it to be a mystery as to why is the, you know, it's, is the drifter just crazy? Is he just a nutball or is there something more going on here? And it, I'm really, for the longest time I've said it's my favorite. It's about a tie with Beneath the Dead or um, 
Beyond the Wall of Fear, which I really like as well. That's an anthology. But the reason I like Drifter so much is because, I mean, it's simple. It's a small cast. The, the idea is kind of simple, but I really like the way it played out. There's a lot of funny little character moments and some humor that comes not from something so overtly funny, but just clever, I think. And the other thing was, as I was writing it and making it, I would constantly listen to the soundtracks from Phantasm and The Fog and just to get me in the mood. And that's the mood I wanted for that piece, to be sort of mysterious and contained. you know. Because Phantasm, if you think about it, only has a handful of characters in it, right? Um, uh -huh. It's that same idea. And also, Phantasm is my favorite horror movie. And so in this script, I actually have... All of the characters in Drifter are named after the actors and crew that worked on Phantasm. There's a few lines from Phantasm that are in Drifter and also like the Realty Office is Morningside Realty, which is like Morningside Cemetery. So there's a bunch of references to Phantasm in there just because I thought it'd be fun and cool. And those who get it, get it and, and think it's kind of neat, but it's not, you don't have to know that to enjoy the movie. But I think the thing I like the most about Drifter is it captures uh, a cool vibe. You know, it's horror, but it's got a quirkiness and an oddness to it. And and as I said earlier, you know, whether I want to or not, I end up putting that into all my scripts and hence into my, all my movies. Um, I like the way the, that one came out. And Bob Olin plays the Drifter. And when I first told him about it, he was really excited because it's like, you're the lead, man. This is the lead character. You're the title guy, the Drifter. And uh, and then I had to tell him, you don't say a word, which initially I think he was disappointed at, but then quickly realized that that gave him a really good challenge. He has said that he you know, embraced it. And boy, howdy, did he? I mean, that guy, you know, he doesn't have a line, but um, he really makes it work. And And there's a process in the movie where he kind of degenerates physically through the movie. And... Um, so he made up his own chart as to like, I can't remember how many, maybe seven phases or something like that. He made up his own chart as to how he'd do his makeup, depending on what stage of the movie we were at. And of course, we didn't shoot in sequence. So there'd be some situations where, you know, this is phase one, you know, you're, you just got to the house and stuff. But then we're jumping to like something where it's phase four, you know. And uh, But he would keep track of all that with this little cheat sheet. And uh, that was really cool. But just the fact that he sort of made that up on his own to keep track of that was great. So it was a really good collaborative effort. And it's just, it's a horror movie, but it's got kind of a quirky vibe. And so people seem to dig it. Okay, cool. Um, moving and, on. and Steve Sessions did the music for it, which is another reason it's really great. Nice. So uh, he did uh, uh, the music for two of your? Uh, well, he did the music for Blood Creek Woodsman. He did the music for Drifter. And actually, he did the music for my latest movie. So when we get to that, um, we can talk about that. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so the next uh, uh, film, which was about the time that, uh, that uh, I actually started to get to, uh, get to know you just a lot, uh -huh. uh, is uh, a movie that you did called Beyond the Wall of Fear uh, yeah. in 2016. Yeah. So that that's an anthology. And... Um, that it uh, mm -hmm, how did that start there's it's it's almost like every every segment has its own story i mean one thing i will tell you is um there's an actress um madeline morgan who was okay. in Creek woodsman 
And she then, uh, she was already like in, I mean, she was in Southern Washington and then, um, and then like moved away. And so, you know, I, I would have worked with her all the time. She was great, but she was just too far away. So what ended up happening was um, at a, at a Crypticon, which I guess, I don't know, 2015, I guess. I don't know. One of, whenever I was showing, uh, I showed Odd Noggins, I think she showed up. And uh, so I was like, oh, great. And, and so it was like a little reunion there. Come to find out she had moved to a town in Northern Washington. That was the same town that a friend of mine that I went to high school with lives in that we would go like twice a year to see. So I was like, wow, well, yeah, you're far away from me, but you know, I'm up here twice a year to see these other friends anyway. We should make something. And she was super excited. She's like, oh, I'd love to make something. <laughs> so then I was, you know, went home from the convention. I was kind of thinking, well, what could I do that, you know, it's like I didn't want to go visit my friend and say, okay, good to see you. But by the way, all week I'm going to be somewhere else shooting a movie with this, this girl. So I was like, well, what can I shoot that's not too, uh, you know, elaborate? Uh, but yeah, it was, still would be good. You know, it wouldn't be boring. Uh, and so way back when, back in the late 90s, one of the other movies that I made was called Trailer Park Trilogy, Trailer Park Double Wide Trilogy of Terror. Because it was a double trilogy. It was six stories. And they it started out where it was all set in the same trailer. Different people would live in the same trailer. We'd have different stories. Uh, my friend Tom Schaefer, again, was in it. It was actually his trailer that we shot, and that's where the idea came from. I was like, well, Tom, you're here all the time. And we, he, he was single at the time. He was like, yeah, you can shoot here anytime you want. <laughs> Anyways, I did, so I did the, the, this anthology. And so one of the stories that I did, I was never thrilled with because I wrote it with this one friend of his in mind who then was not available. And at the last second, I found out at the last second they weren't available. And Tom's like, well, my neighbor will do it. And so I was like, um, well, all right. So I show up and, you know, the neighbor was well-meaning, but she just was not a great actress, you know? And so it, it, I went ahead and shot it, you know, but it really was never, I was never happy with how it turned out. So, but it was very self-contained because the whole point of that, that those stories was it all took place in this trailer. So it was like one location and it was actually only like two characters. So I thought, well, I could probably redo that with Madeline and, and I asked her if we could shoot at her apartment. She said, yeah, sure. So, um, so basically I went up there like a month later after the convention and um, spent an afternoon over there with a couple with my friend and, and her boyfriend and a couple of people and, and sh shot this short that became the first story in beyond the wall of fear. And so at the time my plan was, okay, I'm going to shoot this and then I'll shoot another short later and another one later. And eventually I'll have enough that'll add up to feature length and I'll have a new anthology. That was basically my loose plan. Okay. And that's basically what I did. The, the other one of note, though, is um, Jackie Naaman Jones, who played the little girl Debbie in Manos, The Hands of Fate, which a lot of, you know, sort of cult classic and MST3K favorite. Yeah. Um, I was at Crypticon Seattle and uh, met her. She was there because a filmmaker had done a little documentary about her. And... I found out that she lives like 45 minutes away from me. And I was like, get out of here. So I'm like, nice. I need to put you in a movie. She's like, well, that sounds cool. And so <clears throat> mm -hmm. that summer I, um, I had the story I'd been sort of tinkering with. And so I, I finished it up with her in mind and, um, 
and shot it with her um, for, and, and it turned out great. It's kind of a Lovecraftian thing. It's about an author that kind of goes to this beach house to get away from it all and then encounters sort of weird stuff going on. And um, uh, she was great to work with, and I think it turned out really well. And um, so that's one of the stories, one of the six stories in there as well. And, you know, and the other ones were various stories that, that, that I had put together, and I worked with a lot of people that I really like. And, um, yeah, I just really like the way it, it sort of came together. But, um, yeah, again, a lot of stories with kind of twists in them or, or sort of clever things, I think, that, that come together. So, you know, it's it's right up there with Drifter in terms of my favorite. Totally understand. So, uh, so uh, ultimately, um, a little bit after that, uh, that um, you uh, uh, sent one of your uh, uh, your segments, uh, housewarming, which involves yeah. one of your FBI guys. <laughs> In fact, your yeah. main FBI guy. Uh, guy <laughs> from yeah. what I understand. Um, in in frames of fear, Brad, Brad Twiggs. Frames of fear. Yeah, so that was cool. He, uh, you know, he was putting stuff together. He'd been done, I think, the first anthology and was putting a new anthology together and asked me if I had anything to contribute. And so what I did actually with that was I, the, um, in the, actually in the segment that I just talked about in Beyond the Wall of Fear with Jackie, where she's a writer, it starts out with her character watching a TV adaption of one of her books that, that the producers have totally changed and that pisses her off and she calls her book agent and that's kind of how the story starts and so i needed to shoot the footage that she would be watching on the tv right and um so i had i had scheduled to go over my friend dale's house and shoot this whole thing with uh with with uh, this actress and a few people and i realized you know i could just extend there was just you know just a few scenes that we needed for what jackie's character is seeing on tv I realized, you know, if I just take that little bit and I expand it out, I could use that for Brad's story. I'm already going to be there. I'm already going to have a few people over there. We were only going to shoot for an hour or two. Why not get more people over there and shoot all day and, and get it all done? So that's what I did. So the, there's a, the very, very beginning part of the housewarming segment is also used in a different way in Beyond the Wall of Fear. But, yeah, the housewarming thing was a lot of fun. You know, I – um I had a bunch of friends over and, and, you know, it was just kind of goofy. And, and uh, the, uh, so the guy you're talking about, Mr. Birch, I think, right. The guy in the yeah, Mr. Birch, which yeah. I seem to remember um, was actually, um, was, did you put it in an anthology called Hobo with a Trash Can to uh, put Mr. Birch in? I did not, you know, um, I, I did not have a part in that. Okay, um, I'll do I, I still did though. I can tell you that, but um, he wasn't in that. The first appearance of Mister Birch was in my remake of Odd Noggins, actually. Okay, and so, and the way that came about was I, you know, as I said earlier, Odd Noggins was a weird experiment, and you know, I, I, it's not that I'm not happy I made it, but for what it is, like I said, the quality is just so varied. There's just a lot of stuff that's not great quality. And so um, I always had thought of redoing it. And so I was in a situation where I was going to go to my friend's house and shoot a little short. Um, and I knew it was only going to take, uh, I don't know, a couple hours, right? Tops. Okay. And, and someone was going to be coming up to be in it. And uh, it's, I mean, it's an hour and 15 minutes for me alone. And the other person was driving a little bit farther. 
And I, I kind of felt bad. I was like, well, that's a lot of ways to go. And we're just going to shoot a couple hours for this little short thing. Um, I wonder what else I could do, right, while we're all there. And I didn't, at that point, I didn't have a project. I'm trying to remember what, I guess I had finished Drifter, but I didn't have the next thing lined up yet. So, um, it, again, uh, I was thinking about uh, Odd Noggins and how, well, you know, I had always thought about reshooting that. Maybe what I could, and, and because of how I wrote the original Odd Noggins, where a lot of people were shooting their own sequences, it was already compartmentalized, you know? And mm -hmm. so I thought, well, I could shoot a piece of Odd Noggins while we're all there. And then maybe what I can do is on the next shoot I have, add another hour or two and shoot another piece of it, you know? So my thought at the time was, well, I'll continue doing features and stuff, but I'll shoot a little bit here and there over a few years maybe and, and end up reshooting all of Odd Noggins sort of in the background or on the side. Okay. So, so the day came, we shot the little short thing, and then I shot this whole sequence, the Odd Noggin sequence about this character that dresses up like a gorilla. And I got back home, and I, I was so thrilled with how that Odd Noggin's foot together. And this was in, I think, October. I was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. I got all jazzed, and I ended up reshooting that whole movie by January. I mean, almost all of it was redone by the time – the end of December rolled around and then I had another shoot in January. I think I did. So I just got so excited about it. I'm like, Oh man, I just need to do that. I need to reshoot all this stuff right now. And so I pulled all the, all my regulars, you know, Bob Owens in it and um, a bunch of people are in it. And, um, and like I said, reshot all these, all the odd noggin stuff. Now here's the thing. So odd noggins originally, I mean, there is sort of a story that goes along, but not much of one. And, okay. and it, I, I didn't, uh, I thought this is going to come up a little short running time wise. Plus it was like, well, I need to sort of add something else to it. It just, because it's sort of the same sequence over and over and over again, which again was the idea originally, but it's one thing as an idea, but then when you watch it, it gets a little boring. Cause it's like, Oh yeah, this is, they're going to recycle that same thing they said before. So um, interestingly, I had at that point, I had recently watched uh, the original Roger Corman version of not of this earth. So I had seen the Jim Wynorski work with Tracy Lords and you know really loved that but I had never actually seen the original that Roger Corman made. And so okay. I had watched that not too long before that and I thought well that's what I need to do cuz the concept there is like there's this guy from another planet who's like a space vampire and he has to teleport supplies of blood back to his planet. And um well, you know, I mean, that sounds good. You know, if you haven't seen it, that sounds really goofy. But uh, <laughs> but I thought it was a cool concept, and I liked the way that they did it. And he's a, sort of this mysterious character with sunglasses, and and he had to hire a nurse to, to help him out. And um, anyway, so that concept, I thought that could work with Odd Noggins. So I created Mr. Birch, who's named after Paul Birch, who played the alien vampire character in the Roger Corman version of Not of This Earth. And um, so... I, I came up with this character, Mr. Birch, and made my friend uh, Dale, or cast him in the part, um, and I wanted him to be sort of robotic, sort of alien, sort of stilted, you know. Uh, he's he's here on Earth from somewhere else. He's trying to fit in, but he can't quite do it. So he ends up acting weird and saying weird things and, and stuff because he just, you know, as much as he's trying to fit in as an Earthling, he's not, right? <laughs> um, and I just... and so. The, the the plot line that I used him for, I mean, I 
I thread him through the movie, but what happens is it turns out that he's in charge of the mission. Uh, when it finally at the end of the movie revealed what the mission is and that there are very people throughout the movie and odd noggins that you've been watching. Oh, these are all, these people are all sort of undercover part of the mission. Mr. Birch turns out, Oh, he's in charge of it. And um, anyway, so I really liked the character a lot. It's just, he's just sort of weird and odd. I think, I think he's kind of like your trademark character, you know, I mean, I'm that way. And so, yeah, so I did put him in the, the, um, uh, housewarming short. I also did a short with him uh, called uh, Dinner with Mr. Birch. I did a little short that I put online for free with that. And he is in Beyond the Wall of Fear. Because when I redid the uh, that story I mentioned where I reshot that thing with uh, Madeline, um, I put Mr. Birch in at the end of it. And then, and then I ended up having him pop up in another story. Okay. Um... Now, what uh, 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 what did uh, did now? Did you do the entire thing of Tales for the Midnight Hour too? Um, that was a uh, that was a Phil Herman uh, okay. anthology project, and um, I shot a piece, a segment to to contribute to the anthology. Okay, yeah. Alrighty, and uh, what was the name of that uh, segment, uh, or, or, or are you allowed to say? Oh yeah, I'm, I was just trying to think what it was called. I think I called it the experiment. Okay, yeah. cool. Alrighty, um, now uh, mo uh, moving on to your newest project. Why don't you tell us about? Is, uh, uh, is it called Zero? It's called um, Dark Zone Thirteen. Dark. Okay. Yeah. So. Actually, real quick, let me just mention another project that I did in between there. So like, sure. a few years ago, I did um, Monos Returns, um, which is what's on my my shirt. Um, but yeah, so I, I mentioned earlier, I met Jackie Naaman Jones at this convention, and then she was in Beyond the Wall of Fear. And um, so, and she was in the original Monos. Her dad played the master, the sort of main guy in in the, the original Monos, Hands of Fate. And he actually also lived in the same town that was just 45 minutes away from me. So long story short, Tanya Atomic, who's a filmmaker out of Seattle, uh, and Jackie and, and, and another friend, Rachel, and I basically all got together. They, they put, they wanted to, uh, Jackie was like, we need to make an, uh, an official uh, uh, sequel to Monos. And a few other filmmakers had tried to do that and they sort of fell apart. And she's like, that, that she was pulled into, you know, to be a part of it. But she's like, I really just need to, you know, do this myself. And so she teamed up with uh, Rachel Jackson and Tanya Tomic and I, we four are the producers, and and pulled this anthology together, uh, or not anthology, sequel to, uh, to Monos Hands Fate called Monos Returns. And so they ran a big Kickstarter campaign, raised some money for it, and then we shot. Uh, a few years back, I think it was 2016, um, in Oregon, in Fall City, in Dallas, Oregon. Uh, so Jackie reprises her role as Debbie. Uh, her dad, the master, reprises his role. And then actually the woman that played her mom in the original, we flew her in to reprise her role as the mom. Uh, and then, you know, some other actors came in. So that um, that came together. We premiered it at Crypticon uh, a little while ago, and it's currently, we're looking at some distribution options for that. But People ask me about that. You know, that, that was, that was a, it was a amazing experience. Tanya Atomic directed it. I was the DP for it. And um, we really got like this psychic link well during the shoot and really worked well together. And, um, but it was long hours and lots of heat and dust in this old place. But, um, 
Yeah, I made a really cool movie. Okay, so did that. So the the uh, the uh, another thing I'll mention real quick is I did a movie um, called Strange Monsters that got picked up by David Sterling, and he put it out as Things Five Strange Monsters. Uh, so that I did actually did that this last couple of years. I was working on that. Okay. So the, new, the new movie is called Dark Zone Thirteen, and um, I shot that um, just this year uh in january believe it or not i decided i wanted to have a new movie to show at crypticon which was the first weekend in may and people you know i told that to my wife and she's like well you're crazy and i told that to some friends and they said the same thing um i knew i was going to have a, a a friend of mine in washington shoot a segment for it and i also knew that there was a a, pro, a short that i had um had philip actually in croatia my friend philip do that we were going to do a additional piece to. Um, and so I knew that those would be two pieces of the anthology. And so I, I, uh, I wrote up four other stories. And so, so uh, Joseph Ogley and John Stone up in Washington shot a segment, Philip shot some stuff, shot a segment. And then I shot four segments here uh, in Oregon. And so there's six stories that make up dark zone 13. And the premise is, that um, I'll tell you that the truth about the title is I, I was trying to think of titles for it and I was on a long drive back from Washington state and just knocking words around in my head. Right. I think, you know, stuff like night and dark and like, you know, there's like vault of horror and all these different, you know, kind of cool titles that are evocative of something mysterious and strange and dark and evil. I was just knocking these words around thinking, okay, I wonder if there was anything ever called this, you know? And anyway, so dark zone came up as, you know, just came in, in my head. And then I thought of 13 because that 13 is kind of a lucky number, you know, used in a lot of horror sort of things. I thought dark zone 13, that sounds cool. So I told my wife, I was driving. So I told my wife, you know, text me these three words. Right. So when I, because I'll forget it by the time I get home. So uh so anyway so that's how the title actually came together it just was three words that sounded cool together and then when i looked around to try to find it nobody was really using that combination of words so it was after that that i try i had to figure out well what does that mean so here's <laughs> this is what i figured out and what the premise of the movie is it supposes that there was an infamous pulp magazine called dark zone that published 13 ish uh, published 12 issues and then like vanished the publisher vanished, but there was a rumor that there was a 13th issue that never got published. And so the premise of the movie is the filmmakers have found that issue and now have made film versions of the six stories that were in the lost issue of Dark Zone magazine. So that's the idea. Okay. Very cool. Now, um, where exactly can we um, find um, your uh web uh, web websites or is there anything uh, anything else that you would like to uh, talk about before we wrap things up here um so the the main place to go is skullfaceastronaut.com so i've got dvds for sale there i've got my graphic novel for sale there i've got links to my uh, video on demand stuff if you like to watch stuff online there's i've got a whole vimeo channel that you can get to from there I also have, you know, there's pictures and trailers and all kinds of stuff there. There's also, um, I have a bunch of convention trip diaries on there. So if you're into that type of stuff, I usually uh, take a lot of photos and I'll make this sort of diary of the, how the whole trip went. So there's a bunch of things in there like that. So yeah, skullfaceastronaut.com is the place to go, the hub for all that stuff. And you can email me there and look at my stuff and, and whatever. Um, yeah, so right now Dark Zone 13 is the thing I 
literally this afternoon was just finishing up uh, getting some credits tweaked and, and fixing a few sound things. So um, I need to send that off here the next few days to get DVDs made. And I have a, um, we had a, the world premiere at Crypticon back at the beginning of May and that, that went really well. It was great. People seemed to dig it. We had a good Q and A and stuff like that. So I'm having a theatrical premiere, uh, in Portland on June 29th at the Clinton street theater, 7:30. So that'll be the theatrical uh, premiere of it. And so I want to make sure I get some DVDs to have on hand for that. Uh, so yeah, so by the end of the month, I'll have, I should have DVDs in the store and, uh, and uh, and I'll put it up on my my Vimeo channel as well, uh, and so people can check it out. All righty, cool. Great. Now, if anyone else wants to chip in on your project, are they still able to? Well, that's a good question. Um, I, I here's the thing: I have not taken the links down. I mean, if you go to the if you go to the website and you click on Dark Zone Thirteen, there's a page that says you can pre-order the DVD and get your name in the credits. And I have not taken those links down yet. Uh, I probably will in the next few days. So I guess today's Sunday, right? So how about I say this? If you do it by Monday, then you'll still get in. But but I'll probably, I, you know, I need to turn it off so that I can, you know, finish the credits and then send it off, you know, send the master off. So I guess if anybody really is interested, you know, go there tonight or tomorrow. I'll wait till maybe Monday night at midnight or something like that to, to actually turn it off. But, you know, and that's to, to pre-order the DVD and get your name in there. I mean, after that, you know, a, a few weeks later, it'll be available. You know, the DVD will be available. But yeah, if you want to get like be a producer or, or anything like that, yeah, I'll leave that up for another couple of days. All righty. Cool. Cool, man. Uh, well, I appreciate you being able to come on with, well, I know, uh, knowing how busy you you were, I, I appreciate yeah. it. I just wanted to help you promote it just a little bit. <laughs> I it a lot. So, the, and the, I guess the only other thing I'll mention is um, what I've got coming up next. I'm writing uh, Things 6 for yeah. uh, producer David Sterling, and I'm going to be shooting that this summer. And actually, then I'll be doing Things 7. So that's that's like the rest of my year. That's what I got plotted out is uh doing some monster stuff so that's what's coming up next nice yeah very cool um well i know i'll be working with david sterling myself uh, so, uh sometime later on so maybe we, uh, uh, we'll end up collaborating together or something like yeah. that cool. yeah. so all righty well in any case i appreciate you being able to come on um yeah. and uh talk about your uh, your your films and what you've done uh, done i just love uh, uh, me uh, as an interviewer, I just I just love getting to know the people behind some uh, some of like the, the cool uh, independent uh, fe uh, features. One thing I like about your uh, style uh, or your filmmaking is that, um, and uh, I don't want to uh, sound rude or anything like that, but I notice that you don't necessarily use the typical Hollywood skinny mini. Uh, routine anybody a buddy who is anybody uh, fat thin you know yeah uh, it, it can be involved in yeah. film you know i mean that's that's one of the th things i've noticed it's like it, it's like there's a shade of hollywood and uh, there's a shade of independent filmmaking and you're what it's all about so yeah well and you know it's it, it since i started by just working with friends and then friends of friends you know i mean it, I wasn't I wasn't doing specific casting like I gotta have a guy with you know six pack abs who's you know <laughs> and I gotta have a a girl that fits these you know that's skinny and has these measurements and stuff. Um, I wasn't doing that. I was like 
you want to be in a movie? Oh, that's sure. Let's try it. You know, <laughs> you know, and so, um, so part of it is just that I've worked with, you know, natural actors, you know, not generally, I mean, there's a few people that I've worked with that really want to be actors or have been actors or gone on to be you know, actors. I mean, I, I worked with an actress, Heather Storm on Underbelly at the time she was a college student in town, but she, she went on, she moved to Vegas, then moved to Hollywood, and she was, she's was. she been in several movies. She's been in a National Lampoon's movie. She was on, uh, uh, up until recently, she was on the show Garage Squad on the Velocity Channel and has done a lot of commercial work. So, I mean, you know, she went on, she's she's an actress, you know, a Hollywood, you know, SAG actress. A couple other uh, people I've worked with have gone on and done that. But for the most part, um, it's just people who are looking to have a good time and I've been very lucky because most of these friends and people are really good actors. It's amazing. Um, but they don't aspire to that. So, so that's part of it, I suppose. But also, yeah, I, I kind of like the more, you know, sort of natural looking, not, I mean, I don't know if natural is the right word, but you know, it's a variety. I'm not going to turn down someone who has a, you know, Hollywood smoking bod, stereotypical smoking bod. You know, it's not like I'm going to not use that intention, yeah. but uh, I think a lot of people have different tastes, and so why not represent that? Definitely. Alrighty, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Well, uh, yeah, Peter, I appreciate you having me on, and I and I appreciate you know you've done some reviews of my stuff, and I appreciate the kind words. You always do a good job. You know, you watch the movies. <laughs> not everybody does that. I mean, it's clear you watch the movies, and so you always have something interesting to say about them. And I appreciate the work you put into your reviews. Well, thank you. Um, I I hope to continue to the, uh, do that. And uh, uh, the reason why I had uh, uh, part of the reason why I have these interviews with uh, with, uh, with directors and what uh, whatnot is so, uh, so not everyone has gotten the airtime the, uh, allowed to tell about their entire filmography like yeah yeah this was cool i mean so, i've done a few i've done a few you know podcasts here and there and some interviews and stuff but i you know like you said i'm busy i'm busy making stuff you know so i i'm not probably as uh good at all that self-promotion as maybe others are but uh but so it was great to be invited and great that we talked so long definitely all righty man well um uh, i guess at this point uh i'm just gonna uh, uh, say uh, to everyone uh, uh, that uh, tomorrow night I'll uh, uh, be having another interview. Uh, 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 so stay tuned for, uh, for that. It's going to be with Brad Sykes. Uh, uh, so um, stay tuned for that. And uh, definitely keep a lookout for um, the, uh, the, uh, the several new features that uh, uh, Mr. Sherlock is going to be coming out with. And uh, uh, this week uh, uh, on our podcast, we're going to be uh, visiting George Romero's uh, uh, Night Riders. So stay tuned for that later on this week. So uh, in any case, uh, uh, Joe, why don't you say goodnight to everyone? All right. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for all the support from everybody. And I'll see you later. All righty. Good night, folks. Time for TV's favorite game show, Beat the Time. And here's TV's favorite.